Welcome to another episode of Right Now, a podcast on the craft and business of writing presented to you by Broadleaf Writers Association based in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm your host, Zachary Steele, and on today's episode, we're throwing back to one of our previous virtual programs with literary agent and founder of LCS Literary Services, Latoya Smith. In this episode, we discuss the author-agent relationship, the pros and cons of advances, the advantages of retaining an agent for deals with small mid-level presses, and why Atlanta is way better than New York City. Well, I may have been a little one-sided on that one. At the time, LaToya was a team of one in her fledgling agency, but a senior staff grew into multiple agents, assistant agents, editors, and more. So enjoy this throwback, and be sure to read all about LCS Literary Services at lcsliterary.com. Hello, Latoya. Hi. How are you doing? Oh, good. good considering. <laughs> it's been a yes. crazy time, but I'm kind of glad to see uh, a smiley face uh, right now. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm well caffeinated, so you're going to get all my smiles right now. So. And I've got the caffeine right here, so I think we're good to go. <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I want to try to keep these on a, a limited time, so we're just gonna we're just gonna kind of launch right into it. Um, now, you were here in Atlanta for a while, or or near Atlanta, living for a while, and, and you were actually with us, I think, for the the second annual Broadleaf Writers Conference, and then you went and abandoned us and and left us. <laughs> left us for New York to live the big city life. Um, and you started LCS Literary Services, um, yes. you know, skipping over the complete rejection we feel for losing you. Please, uh, you know, let yeah. us know. Let us know what LCS Literary Services is. Yeah, sure, sure. So actually, um, I'll backtrack just a little bit. I born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I worked in corporate for quite a while. And when I left to move to Atlanta, I took on a position as director of a smaller company, um, which was amazing. And I was there for about two years and then the company folded. And at the time I was living in Atlanta, which is a wonderful city, but it's not really, um, you know, uh, there's no publishing companies really there. So I kind of had a really tough time figuring out my place and what I was gonna do. And a lot of the authors that I've been working with was just like, listen, you should just freelance edit. Like, you don't need to go back to a publisher. Like, you can do your own thing. And I was like, you know what? You might be right. So um, the day I actually got laid off um, from Sam Hain Publishing, I announced to everyone that I was going to start my own thing. Um, LCS happens to be my initials. Uh, so that's how LCS Literary Services was born. And I basically just got started with some business cards and um, just promoting folks on Facebook. And then slowly but surely, um, it went from just developmental edits to consulting. And now um, I offer literary service representation um, and teaching. I'm actually launching an online school soon called LCS Lit Academy, where I'll be offering workshops and things like that for aspiring authors. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that as well. So yeah, um, after I launched LCS Literary Services uh, in 2018, I decided to move back to New York because it's just a little more conducive to what I was doing. And I was jumping really you know, into the literary agent space and all the publishers are here. So it just kind of made sense to come back home. 
And that, you know, that that's interesting. Um, listen to you talk about the differences of being in New York versus in, a, in, a, in the Atlanta area dealing with publishers. Because um, I mean, it's one thing that comes up a lot. Uh, writers wanting to know, like, is it better to have an agent who lives in, in New York that's right there in proximity, or, or can they be working remotely and still be effectively? And, and I'm just curious, you know, just real briefly, what yeah. What is what is the difference to you as let's let's speak as a literary agent here that you know yeah. what is the difference to you in being in close proximity to the publishers versus being remote? Well, for me, even though I have been in the business for a while, when I became an agent, I was still a new agent. And I think um, one of the most important parts about being an agent is the connections. And so I had to kind of reacclimate myself into corporate because I had been out of it for such a long time when I was in Atlanta. So for me, it was really important to come back here to physically be around, to go to different events and mixers and, and kind of be available in, in the city to meet with editors and, and really network and make those resources. And so what I was finding is that when I was in Atlanta, I was flying back home like every three to four months to do these things, to meet with people, to stay connected. And I think that if you're a part of an agency who is maybe connected in New York or has more senior agents, no, you don't have to be here. But for me, I was doing my own agency. And so I needed to kind of be here to get myself back kind of in the groove and make those connections. And not to say that you can't do them over the phone, but I do think face-to-face is always kind of useful when building true solid connections and really understanding what people want. Right. Yeah. So, so primarily it's, it's the networking opportunity. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Absolutely. And then work. also there's a lot of events here. So for travel costs, you know, that was helpful. For, uh, yeah. <laughs> for me yeah. Too. yeah. <laughs> that, that would definitely make sense. Yes. Um, well, okay. So with LCS, with your, with your business, you, you do professional editing, you are the yeah. literary agent representation as well. Mm -hmm. um, so as a literary agent, you're going to get um, a tremendous amount of submissions. Um, obviously this varies from agency to agency, but um, I'm sure it's something that is overwhelming. So it leaves you in a position where you have to be able to make choices on something pretty quick because you've got to oh, move. Yeah. So what, what, what are some pointers uh, you could give writers to to keep their their pitches from ending up in the slush pile. Absolutely. So um, one of the first things um, for me is the greeting. I know people kind of skate over this and it doesn't matter to them, but I take that really personally and I have rejected people for misspelling my name or actually calling me the wrong name, which has happened several times. And I get it. We're moving quickly. We're trying to submit to as many people as possible. But sometimes that smallest detail can mean so much for your submission. So I think the greeting is not miss, miss, misses or any of that, not important, but at least call them by the right name. Um, also, I'm really looking for three key things. The first thing is how long is your book? because um, you know, minimum word counts are required for a lot of publishers. So having that right away. So for any folks watching this who want to be published by a traditional publisher, you might, might wanna shoot for the 50,000 word range at minimum. Um, so I'm looking for that. Next, I'm looking for genre, because if you're writing something I don't represent, that's a quick way to pass as well. And then the third thing is, what are you writing? So typically when I teach my query writing classes, I tell folks, that first line, um, that should be sort of your quick and dirty, I've written this book, 
this word count in this genre, which you can kind of determine by using comparison authors. So that's straight away what I look at. And then once we've gotten past those things, um, then I actually, I'm a little strange. I jump ahead to the writing mm. and I actually read the sample. And if I really like the sample, then I'll kind of jump back and look at the synopsis and, you know, kind of dig into who the writer is and all of that. Um, so that's kind of my process. I really want to see, is it for me first? And then I kind of jump in and, and, and check out if all the other things work out. That's, that's interesting. That's, I've, I've done a few of these. That's the first time I've, I've heard somebody say that they actually, like, you're it's sort of reading at the end of the book first sort of thing, you know, getting to read yeah. the, the, the writing before you actually get the, yeah, the yeah. which is. And I think is, that's especially true for fiction, because I think I, like, even some of my own clients will tell you they're horrible at writing synopsis. And so I, I you know, in my experience, um, I found that there are some folks that write amazing synopsis and then you get to the pages and they're terrible or vice versa. So I just want to know if the writing is good, especially for fiction. Now, nonfiction, that's way different. Nonfiction, I'm probably looking more at the platform first, then the topic, then the writing. So it's a little opposite, you know, depending on you know, the genre, but definitely for fiction. I want to know that you can write. And I think all the other stuff we, we could kind of work on. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, real quick, the invention, the platform for nonfiction writing. Um, define what you mean by platform. Okay. So one thing I think to remember about both fiction and nonfiction, when you're writing for the fiction market, the idea is that the publisher will bring the audience to you because you're writing something that they know how to sell, how to publish. So even though obviously your unique voice is that, they still have an idea based on what subgenre it is, how to sell it. When it comes to nonfiction, you have to bring the audience to the publisher. So if you have no audience, who are they selling this book to? And most publishers are offering advances. So they're kind of like banking on the fact that they're gonna make their money back on the back end. So if you're charging, let's say $25 for a book, what in that book and what about you is gonna make someone pay 25 bucks to read it? And I think a lot of people get caught up with what they have to say and not the marketability or the business angle of it. And I think that we really need to remember that whether we're self-publishing or traditionally publishing, if you have no one to talk to, you know, that's a lot of money that's going down the drain and a lot of time and effort. Yeah, I, th I think I think there are, uh, most writers don't want to hear this, but in the end, you have, to, <laughs> you have to remember that you are a product going on a shelf. I mean, you're no different. You know, different than uh, you know, Chef Boyardee versus store brand ravioli. I mean, you know, you have right, to exactly, exactly. All right. Well, then let, let's um, let's talk about what happens when you know a, a writer appeals to you when when somebody's yeah. written something and you're like, oh my gosh, I love this, I believe in it, and and Absolutely. you you call, you email, you reach out to the author, and you say, I want to represent you. What okay. Happened? So I actually use a, a, a management system just to help me with repeat offenders and also for serious folks, because for those of you who have been on my query manager, you have to answer quite a few questions before you can send your material. Um, but either way, so once I like the sample material, I will request a full manuscript. If I love the full manuscript, I do get in touch via query manager and encourage the author to contact me via email so that we can set up time to talk. And I absolutely get on the phone with them. I tell them what I loved about the manuscript, um, kind of tell them what my job is as an agent, as well as my work style. 
um, and then I answer any questions that they might have. And if everything sounds good, I go ahead and send them a contract. Um, and for me, uh, I use DocuSign, so my contracts expire within 30 days. So that kind of gives folks time to look it over, review with a manager, you know, seek other agents, you know, interests, and then they kind of, um, you know, come back and let me know. And then once they sign, um, I actually have a welcome letter, which is a questionnaire that I like for them to fill out. Um, and it really is helpful for me to pitch, but then also I share it with the publishers as well. So um, sometimes they have their own questionnaire and that kind of helps get around that um, because working for publishers, I recognize that that type of information is really important. Um, and so they will go through that. We go through manuscript edits um, and may, or proposal edits. I do not send anything out without editing it first. So I always tell clients, be ready to work because I don't send anything out as is. Yeah, and that actually, that, that leads me into the next question I was yeah. gonna ask. I mean, you, you, um, you're a little more unique in this in that you, you do professional editing anyway. So right. obviously editing is very important to you. And um, um, I know there's such a wide range because it's gonna depend on the quality of the work you're taking in, but what would you say the average number of edits you're going to go through with a writer before you believe you're ready to pitch to editors? In most cases, and this is just talking about full manuscripts for proposals, you know, it, it, it can go a little bit more rounds because it's shorter and it's shorter and packed with more information. So that sometimes can go through like four and five rounds, depending on, you know, if we're working on the content itself or the chapters with a full manuscript, typically two rounds. Um, only if I'm doing some major, like if the author is doing a major rewrite, we might have to go through more than that. But typically I'll look it over, send it back. They make their changes. I look it over again and we can kind of move forward. Um, but like I said, if there are rewrites that happen, it could be like two or three rounds, you know, mm -hmm. but typically just, I go, you go, I go. And, <laughs> and then we see where we end exactly, up at. Yeah. Exactly. So well, okay. I would say from start to finish, it's probably about three months. Okay. from like signed contract to the project is ready to go mm -hmm. um and again that depends on the author's schedule how much work needs to be done but typically it's about three months before we're ready to go out and pitch all right um and then and then you pitch and um let's let's say no matter how long it takes um you know somebody's interested a publisher publisher is interested um how often well, I guess the question is really like, I'm not sure what level of control do you have once it's in the editor's hands and, and, and do they often work with what you've, you've established or, or does it tend to have to go through even further rounds of extensive editing? Um, in most cases, if an editor sees the potential, um, if there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of times I wanna talk to the author or myself just to make sure the author is on board with whatever they're asking for. <clears throat> in most cases, you know, they'll do the work on the back end after they sign it. Um, it's rare that I have them request upfront work that needs to be done and then kind of come back and then try to work a contract. Um, that's rare, that's rare. Uh, and typically, you know, editors will get back within three to four months. Um, funnily enough, I just sold something last week that was on submission from November and the editor reached out in April and was like, hey, is this still free? So, you know, so that type of thing does happen. Um, so don't be discouraged if, you know, your project is out there for 
uh, months and your friends was out for a few weeks. It really just depends on what's happening. Like I've had editors respond overnight. And then, like I said, this was like five months, you know, yeah. so you know, it really just depends. Um, and for me, I'm going to pitch it until I really have no one else to pitch it to. And at that point, I do have very real conversations with my clients like, okay, you know, this is not really moving. What else do you have? Maybe we should table this and kind of look, you know, look to work on something else and maybe circle back around on this one for book two, or you just for something else down the line. And then for some of my hybrid authors, sometimes they'll self-publish that and then create something else. Which which does lead into the point that um, that we, we state often uh, that that writers really need to just keep writing. You know, once you, once you've got the book, even if you've got the agent, keep writing because yeah. you, you need to have more material available. Yes, and if it's a it's if it's a if it's a problem where you're not sure if you should be writing full manuscripts, etc. I always encourage my clients to start with outlines or synopsis because then we can work on those before they start getting into the, 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 um, the chapters. Now, sometimes my clients, uh, characters just talk to them and they'll just start writing and it's just like, okay, cool. You know, the process is the process, but I do really encourage them. Let's talk about it first and kind of be on the same page before they start writing out chapters, especially a full manuscript. I mean, that's, that's a lot of work to put in if you're not so sure what direction you're going in for the next projects. Right. Um, so you're, you're pitching a book uh, and you've submitted it to multiple agents and then suddenly you get uh, multiple editors, is what I meant, multiple editors who, um, who are interested. Um, <laughs> then, it, then it could do something that's called it going to auction. Now, yes. what, what does that mean? So auctions happen sometimes. They haven't happened as often for me as I would love. Um, but, you know, um, I'll probably be the first person to say sometimes auctions are a blessing and a curse. Um, now, typically what will happen is somebody has interest. And they'll come and they'll say, hey, I like this. I'll then let other eight editors know, hey, someone loves it there's interest and that will sometimes get the auction ball rolling, which just means now let's say four houses are interested. So I'll just say, hey, four houses are interested. So we're gonna do a best bids auction, which means that they have to turn in their offers by a certain date and time. At that point, whoever's interested will turn in their offers at that time. I'll then discuss it with my client. We determine which ones we like, what we didn't, and it kind of just drops off until we're finally head to head with the last two people standing. And at that point, again, you know, it's kind of up to my, the client and myself to kind of make a decision on who best to go with. Um, in the last case that I had an auction, both publishers offered the same money, but the relationship and I think the effort put into the, to the, you know, marketing and, and promotion and, and even the publication of the book was really defined with one of the offers and not with the other. So it was kind of clear to the author, like, I want to go with this person because they've really thought about what is going to happen with my book. The reason I say sometimes these are cursed situations is because it can drive the advance really high up because everyone's competing. And that's a lot of pressure for you as the author because you got to earn that money back before you make royalties. So it's like, yay, they thought it was worth it. But if you want to continue past that one book, you want to make sure that you earn out. And so, you know, it's great, but 
sometimes it'll drive the price way high and then it's hard to kind of earn that out, you know? Yeah, and, that, and that's the, the kind of dark side that most people don't realize about advances is it's really great to get that nice payday, but, you know, for you to be a, a commodity, a product that the publisher wants to work with going forward, you have to then be able to earn out that advance, um, not, just, not just to make royalty for yourself, as you said, but to be something that the publisher believes that they, they can continue to put money into. So, yeah. So, interesting and thing. that's what and that's what brings them back for the next deal and the next deal and the next deal it's all about how much they paid and how much they made <laughs> you know yeah. um, and, and that'll determine how much you'll get for the next projects whether they go up stay the same or in some cases go down right you know, if they make an offer at all and 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 as if this can't be overwhelming enough for writers to have to take in um you know a, a book selling isn't necessarily the end game um, for everybody, you know, there, there are other rights that are involved in a project and, and not everybody gets to take advantage of them, but you know, there's movie rights, and there's game rights, and there's international yeah. rights and, yeah. and how much of that, um, okay, let's say I've written a book and you've accepted it. How much of that do you personally take on? Or is it something that I may have to look for a separate agent to handle those rights? I think it just depends on the agent. For me, myself, um, as of right now, I am a one woman show. So I don't have a sub rights department. I don't have like some of those separate entities that some of the bigger agencies have established thus far. So for the most part, I will give the publisher the rights that I don't have, you know, have the ability to shop. Um, especially if it's a large publisher that has the capability of doing international, doing successful audio, things like that. But I always do keep um, merchandising and movie film rights, um, I, you know, no matter what. Um, and I, I do have some contacts in LA, so I do um, shop film rights for any projects that sell, especially if they are sell for a lot of money, they obviously want to know, you know, mm -hmm. those type of projects. So I absolutely do um, push for that. But like I said, I think it's more about your capability as an author, realistically, and what the agent can do. And then you kind of as a team determine. So I'm very candid with my clients about, you know, what I can do and what I can't do. And, um, and so they kind of know coming with me, it's like, okay, well, that's fine. As long as you feel like they are, they're going to do the best job in terms of getting these sub rights or getting these other rights. And if they are, let's say a media personality or things like that, they absolutely can keep certain rights for themselves and shop them accordingly. But in most cases, you know, um, with the exception of merchandising and, um, you know, movie adaptation, I usually just sell most rights to the publishers. Well, um, now the, 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 the publishing industry in general is, is, um, has been a, a changing landscape for, for quite some time, um, certainly since the advent of self-publishing. But um, it seems more recently over the last couple of years that, that mid-level and small publishers are starting to, to absorb some of these better writers that don't make it into the big five. Um, I'm curious what your perspective is on this, because um, I know it's going to be different for everybody. But let's say I'm a writer who isn't really interested in the in, in the big five, and I'd rather work with a smaller press or mid-level press. Um, with the big five having an agent is an absolute necessity. Um, right. What what becomes the necessity of an agent when I'm looking for smaller presses? I think the necessity of an agent is not based upon the level of the house but the level of the author 
Um, I can't tell you how many authors have signed with boutique publishers and signed away lots of rights that they can no longer get back because they just don't know what they're doing. So I think it's more about you as the author and what your <clears throat> skill set is in reviewing contracts mm -hmm. um, on either side, whether you are going with a traditional house or an independent publisher or a smaller publisher, um, because those contracts are still binding. And so no matter what, if you're not quite sure what to look for, you may still need the advice of an agent to make sure that this is perhaps maybe a stepping stone for you if you do aspire to eventually make it to a big five or even that that independent publisher is doing what they need to be doing for you. Because either way, no matter what your goals or dreams are, this is still your name and your brand out there. So you wanna make sure that you're not signing away your work um, and also, that um you know you're doing the best for your career or for your goals as a writer so i think an agent can be useful on either side now what i will say is that when it comes to some of the digital deals you know me personally i think that you know an author probably like i said could have someone read over that contract and do that themselves because a lot of the digital deals you don't make a whole lot um and so i kind of you know feel like sometimes you can navigate that yourself or even self-publish and probably earn about the same thing depending on your skill set um but i do think agents can be useful either way um it just depends on what you know as an author of contracts and how and how it works in-house gotcha. all right uh one more question before i uh completely go sideways and grow you with some lightning round questions um <laughs> Though it's easy enough for people to Google um, LCS Literary Services, what tell us a little bit as a literary, literary agent of what you represent. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I do both fiction and nonfiction. Um, most, um, I'm probably like an even split as of right now. Um, but for nonfiction, uh, memoir, I like narrative um, memoirs. I like uh, relationship advice, how-tos, um, personal finance, business, um, and some political science and like social justice kind of issues. Um, and then, but, and like I said, of course, platform, you know, is a, is a must with those categories. Cause it's just, especially from memoir, it's so tough to sell right now. Um, and then for fiction, I love women's fiction, romance. Um, I do like thrillers and, and suspense. Um, and I also, um, take, I'm starting to take on some YA fiction. Um, so I'm definitely looking for some contemporary paranormal, dark, angsty tone um, of the YA as well. So nice, nice range of, yeah. of stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. That's all I got. Um, awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, I always enjoy chatting with you and this has been some, some great information about, um, you know, what happens when uh, an agent signs an author and um, I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I hope everyone finds the information useful. All right. Well, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to free you from this and uh, let you get back to whatever you have to do today. And um, I, I appreciate your time. And thank you again. No problem. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. Be safe, everyone. Uh, all right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi there. I'm Marianne Lozano, President of the Broadleaf Board of Directors and the Conference Chair for the 9th Annual Broadleaf Writers Conference. This year, our conference will be held Saturday and Sunday, September 21st and 22nd at the Decatur Library in Decatur, Georgia. 
The ninth annual Broadleaf Writers Conference offers two days of panels, workshops, one-on-one -on -one pitch and mentoring sessions, a first pages critique, opportunities to meet and chat with our guest authors and literary agents, and plenty of time to spend with a community of fellow writers in attendance. We strive to attract top-level speakers, both with a track record of success in the industry, as well as those just beginning their careers, with the capacity and desire to help writers on their path to publication. This year, we're thrilled to be headlined by New York Times bestselling author Mary Kay Andrews. Registration for the ninth annual Broadleaf Writers Conference opens May 1st, so be sure to save the date. To learn more about our conference, I hope you'll visit our website at broadleafwriters.com. See you this fall.